Hello and welcome back. You are listening to Trinity's Conversation on Reconciliation event. This is part two, and you're going to get a chance to hear from members of our Race, Diversity, and Inclusion Council, as well as members of our leadership team sharing about their own experiences of this work of reconciliation. As I mentioned before, if you're interested in watching the full video referenced here in part two, you can catch it on our Instagram page. Thanks y'all for listening. We hope to see you soon. Peace. All right, while you guys are getting settled, um, I'm going to Go ahead and cue up a video. This is uh, Joe Hamilton and Japere Hemming are both members of our RDIC. And this is, um, since they couldn't be here tonight, we wanted to make sure we had a chance to sit down with them. So I sat down with them a week or so ago and just asked them questions about their experience uh, here. And we wanted you all to have a chance uh, to get to hear from both of them. So here we go. It has been a great experience for me. First of all, I got to meet Japere, which is great and spend time with her. Uh, but beyond that, I always love hearing people's stories. I've, I've always thought that was interesting. This has been even better because we literally have gone deeper into the stories. And it's not just so much tell me your story, it's tell me what you felt and mm -hmm. how you responded to that. And, and one thing that I have learned in the process is my reality is not everyone else's reality. And you can, you, you can say that but until you've entered into authentic relationships where there is safe space to have those discussions, you may not have a full understanding of what that is. So for me, it's been a great experience. I love that, Joe. Um, usually in settings, I, when there is a white male that's older, usually there is an authoritarian sort of nature dynamic to the relationship. And I'd probably say that the relationship in RDIC, this is my first, where you're my peer and you're my friend. Um, and I wouldn't have thought that I wanted to have friendship with a white male who's older because so many things around us in this day and age are telling us that you and I have nothing in common. You and I have no reason to be in relationship. And this experience, I think, has taught me just how much we do have, not necessarily in common, but that we share similar values, that we share similar desires for the kingdom of God, that we share um, a similar heart, and that we want to see transformation. And we might have different ways that we think that we get to that end result, but being in community with you and with Jim, I mean, you guys are the first white men that I've been in relationship with that I've been able to be vulnerable with, and I haven't had that before. You know, Jeffrey, I think that's a great point relative to the things that we found that we agreed on. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there's some stuff that we wouldn't agree on, but the big stuff I feel like we found that we were in agreement on. And one other thing I think that the authentic relationship brings is the space to have that honest difference of opinion yep where we don't get into a fist fight about it. Mm -hmm. We can have the discussion and seek to understand more, more than just listening, mm -hmm. seeking to understand. Yep. There's plenty that God's been doing in RDIC that I didn't expect. Um, for one, I don't think I realized how hurt I've been um, because of race relations in this country and my own personal experiences. 
you mentioned stories and you probably remember me telling you about my first best friend Heather and wanting to go to her mm -hmm. birthday party and all the other little girls got to spend the night, but I had to go home. Um, I didn't realize that all these years later, like that still deeply sat with me. And I think in being community, in community with you guys and like reading the definition of reconciliation over and over and over again, and thinking about this being an ongoing process of healing, I didn't realize that I needed healing per se. And so God has been sort of showing me where I may be, um, I have some wounds. Mm -hmm. I have some wounds that need attending to. And then using you all, I mean, you guys know a lot about my life and how crazy it's been for the last couple of months yeah. and like getting a text message from you or, you know, being thought of or just knowing that I have like a brother in Christ who genuinely like cares about what I'm going through that may not have any experiences that map onto my own, but loves me enough to care about that. I mean, that was a surprise that I didn't anticipate and I welcome. Mm -hmm. You know, I think something that I've gained in this process is God has kind of helped me slow down mm. into these relationships and not not move quite so quickly through them and hear pain that I didn't even know existed. Mm. Uh, and as I, I say that, it's even uh, kind of crazy to think about it. But uh, and I know when I was first saying that to y'all, y'all were looking at me like I was nuts. <laughs> like how could you not see this? Uh, but once again, you're, you're trapped somewhat by your own perspective. And unless you have those, uh, I've used the expression, I think authentic relationships, unless you have genuine relationships with other people where you can share at that level, you may not know. Right. So that's, that's been great for me. What do I most hope for? It's my greatest hope related to racial reconciliation. Authenticity. I think that's what I'm hoping for most. I mean, hearing you say that you have slowed down and not like hit the gas pedal and tried to fix and resolve, but you tried to understand and empathize. I mean, part of being a Christian is about bearing another's cross, dealing mm -hmm. in their burdens. And so I think if we're ever gonna get to a point where we're becoming a reconciled church, we are slow enough and careful enough and thoughtful enough and take the time and have enough compassion to do what you're describing, which is to say, what is this pain that I don't understand? And how as your brother in Christ, can I bear this burden with you and take this to the foot of the cross? So I think that's what I hope for Moses, an authentic Christian approach to race and reconciliation. I'm with you. And, uh, I think that ties a little bit into the question that was asked of us about why this is important work. And, you know, I think from a biblical standpoint, you know, we talk about every tribe, every language, every nation. From a spiritual standpoint, we talk about loving your neighbor. From a practical standpoint, we talk about the ability to share with people of a different culture, which makes our life richer. And uh, I think about, especially right now, the political polarization mm -hmm. and how everything seems so divisive. We spend an incredible amount of time trying to block each other's punts mm -hmm. instead of celebrating what's important. And, and to your point, that's the gospel and that's where we have agreement. That's right. 
That's right. I think well, I would say one thing unequivocally that I've gained is I, I live in a world where I spend a considerable amount of time as a designated arguer. <laughs> so often in cases like this, where there are people with whom I may not have full agreement, part of the time my objective becomes to argue with them to convince them that my point of view is the right point of view. Mm -hmm. And this process for me has been very helpful to kind of say, look, just, just calm down. You know, listen, seek to understand, and have honest discussions and, and don't be so argumentative. And I, you know, I think that's something that has probably changed the way I communicate in a broader context. Mm -hmm. That's so concrete. I wish I had something as concrete as that, but I think I've gained family. I've gained friends for sure. Yeah, yeah, like when I tell you guys I love you, first of all, I don't go around telling people that I love them if I really don't mean it. Um, and so when I think of my RDIC family, like it's beyond friendship to me. Um, it is it is family. And I wish that we could bottle it up and give that to the entire Trinity community. I recognize, just being honest, that there are not, you know, that many Jeffreys at Trinity. And so it'd be hard to sort of replicate that. But I do genuinely love that I have friends that don't look like me. Um, it may sound absolutely bizarre to you, but I can count the number of white people that I've trusted in my life. I mean, deeply trusted. And like you were added to that list, you know what I mean? And so like, I wish that I could bottle up that familial feeling that I have, that kinship. When I see you on Sundays, like I get excited, like, oh, that's my friend Joe. Like not, oh, that's Joe that I go to church with and we sit next to each other. But like, I get excited to see you. Um, I want everybody to have that, that genuine relationship and that genuine feeling of, regardless of what this phenotype is, mm -hmm. there is so much more that connects us. Maybe you guys go around and introduce yourself. Say hi, Jim. That's right. Uh, I'm Jim Weiner. Hi, Jim. <laughs> hi, I'm Paco Trevino. I'm Millie Wamstead. You know. <laughs> I'm Esther Lynn. I'm Erica Mahone. I'm Damien Fayou. All right, so, um, yeah, it'd be great. If you could do that, that would be, that would be good. Um, no, Jim, sorry, he's, good. he's busy. Jim's texting. Jim's always texting. We're having meetings and Jim's texting. He's just like, he's, <laughs> Maybe we start with this question. Um, you guys can answer it while I get a chance to, to look at these and pull out a couple more. Um, we talked about, I think a helpful question is you all had to, each of you had to make a decision to care about this work of reconciliation and had to, beyond caring, decide to do something. So if somebody asks you, what do you do? Where do you start? If you're gonna make a start at doing this, where is that and how do you do it? When do you wanna take a stab at that? Yeah. There she is. There she is. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think Japare and Joe kind of spoke to this, but one thing is just that we don't um, come close to people that are different from us and understand them without, or we don't 
I messed up. We don't understand them without coming close to them. We really, really need to be in friendship and relationship with people who are different from us. And not that we should just like get a, a checkmark friend who's of a different race, but if there is someone in your sphere of influence and your proximity who you aren't close to, maybe just to build a friendship like you would any other person um, so that you can begin to see what those differences are and also what the similarities are um, so that it would maybe begin the process that way. I think there is something to evaluating that sphere because um, having conversations with folks and even myself, I live in a very white neighborhood uh, and I was a lawyer for 10 years in corporate law, very white corporate law. I went to Emory, which is pretty white. So the idea of me trying to look around and pick out, you know, even for me to pick out people to be able to interact with. So I just want to acknowledge that as a reality. If you're not intentional, it doesn't just happen. Even for me, I'm moving to a blacker neighborhood because I want to have more diversity in my life. Is that convenient necessarily? No, but I'm making a choice. And it doesn't have to be as drastic for you, but I do want to encourage for those who are like, where do I even start? An evaluation of your sphere and how to make that sphere intentionally more diverse. Can I even add like a half baby step before that? Um, if, I mean, like literally even tonight, you can look at your like bookshelf, look at your Instagram feed, look at the songs you listen to, um, and, and just open yourself up to hearing from more diverse people, um, in addition to then actually like meeting people and creating authentic relationship. So one of the questions we have here, maybe this is one we take together, I'm just curious if anybody has some thoughts. Um, is there an explicit goal, is there an explicit goal to get more people of color to, a trend, to attend Trinity? If so, how, and what is the process? <laughs> Damien. So Trinity's gonna be an all black church in by the time of 2022. Um, You're gone, I'm gone. It's the, it's the goal, it's the goal. Um, so, we, so we have talked about that. Um, and, and we talked, it was like, is that, like, is there a quota to fill, right? Like, it's like, what are we doing? And I think one of the, the, the things that we agreed upon together was that it's, it's not about, like, poaching your friends that go to other churches um, to try to get them to come here. Because people being in the room is not the goal, right? The goal is for something to happen inside of us that transforms us in a way that will actually go against the patterns of our, even our city that are moving us towards separation. And it's being committed to saying, like, I'm going to go against that grain, that natural grain that separates us. Um, and so when we think about diversity, we, we really want it. Like my hope is that it starts in Trinity way outside these walls before it gets here. And because by the time it gets here, it's like, oh, wow, how is this church so diverse? It's, well, it's because we're friends with people in the city all across the board. 
because our love doesn't have boundaries the way that the city sets us up to have boundaries. That's yeah. really good. Yeah, it's really good. I, and in addition to that, I do want to say that we know that things like representation matters. We know that there are things I know, I can say, I know for me that there are things in my understanding or lack thereof that could be a barrier to friendship that have to be examined. There are things I need to learn that can make me a better friend and pastor in this church. There are parts of our culture here at Trinity that we have to examine intentionally um, in order to move this work, advance it. And so what we're doing is rather than saying we have X, Y, and Z goal, here's how we're going to go about fixing this problem, right? Like it's a math equation. You take A plus B and it will equal C. Is just admit that this is like an ongoing spiritual and relational process that we have to be very intentional about, that we need real accountability for, but that it's just not as simple as making X, Y, and Z adjustment here and there. Those things may indeed happen, but it's, it's not just that. And I also want to just, because I, I meant to say this earlier, and then I'm going to get back to them. Every time this comes up, and it was a few people's question, I think one of the, just want to name, one of the real fears that we have about changing anything so that we can get to somewhere else is what we'll lose. And I, I feel this in myself, and I hear it in a lot of people, is well, if we change something, then something's different, and we lose something. And that's like human nature, I just want to say what I have felt encouraged by the Lord to believe is that what we're not talking enough about is what is to be gained. What vision that the Lord has. I mean, Revelation 7 is really good. And I don't have to be afraid of what Jesus has for me ever. And neither do you. If he's there, it's where I want to be. And wherever he is, all his people are there. You know? And we just have to keep holding that in front of ourselves over and over and over again because otherwise the enemy comes along to say, you know, be afraid, be very, very afraid. Don't take away your songs. <laughs> Marty's got to learn gospel. <laughs> Y'all don't want Marty to sing gospel. We don't. All right. We don't. <laughs> we don't. She's like, no, for real. <laughs> it's recorded. We'll, we'll tell him to listen to it later. Same question. All right. Here's a great one. How does our all-white small group grow and support this work? Is there anything more effective or meaningful that we can do in our conversations when we lack the perspective of a person of color? Pass it. Damien, if somebody wants to take it. Thank you. A funny thing that happens in our group is that every time we answer a question, we all look at Jim and it's like, is that right? Are we correct? Is that what we should do? Uh, no, and I'll just, I'll echo, uh, you guys said this already, but I think the, the first thing to do is to kind of look at the places that you're not, or that you're ignoring or walking past, right? Like, I think it's, you know, I grew up in Mexico, but I live in a very white community surrounded by very white friends, right? So it's kind of a weird space to be in sometimes of just like, oh, yeah, let me tell you about my national pride as I sit here surrounded by, you know, a bunch of kids from Atlanta. Um, so I think, I mean, the, you know, read a book, you know, reach out to a, or, you know, watch a video of somebody else is doing. And I think more than anything else, be humble enough to know that the, the answer might not be something you want to hear or it might not be something you want to do 
or might not come in the nicest of way when you hear it. You know, I think a lot of the times when we do reconciliation work, we want to just be affirmed that the things that we're doing are enough, or you know, get a thumbs up that like, hey man, you're good. You're one of the good ones. Um, and and even for us, that's not the reality all the time. Um, so I would encourage you to, you know, first of all, pray about it, uh, and be open to the spiritual change, because that's where it all kind of starts. And second of all, you know, look beyond the the books that are recommended on your Instagram page and look for authors that you wouldn't, um, you might not know or, or might not look like you. So. And there's this fine line, just want to say this, between being intentional and pretending. Mm-hmm. And we have a culture that does a lot of posturing. We live in a world that encourages us to posture and threatens us if we don't. And so I'm just, it needs to be said, that's not going to do you or anybody else any good to pretend or to posture. So if your small group is all white, that's all right. It's where you are. Pray, you know, do the work. Be real about it and do all these other things. And then when the change comes, it will last because it will be real. And it will be more convincing to the people around you. That's our commitment here. We're just not going to pretend and posture to be where we're not. We have to be where we are and be faithful. So here's a good question. Could I hit on that real quick? Yes, Jim. Thank you. I, I was going to say, for me, I would say personally, sort of answering that question is how do, how do I sort of make my way in to something that's different from what, I do, what I'm doing is one thing that I think you can do is just in your personal time or even with your small group, begin to pay attention to the pull of the Holy Spirit. Because if this is God's idea that we would represent kingdom diversity, which all of us believe it is, I personally believe it is, he will pull uh, um, in this direction Uh, most of us by place, in other words, where we spend most of our time uh, aren't in very diverse situations because um, just of where we live and and what we do and that kind of thing. But the Holy Spirit can work a a way around that. And Joe Lynn and I would tell you, we feel like if, if I go back now, it's almost 18 years that I started a move in ministry Uh, toward this work, uh, that it was a pull that at times was very uncomfortable and and at times I couldn't not be pulled. I just felt like I've got to take the next step. I've got to take the next step and don't quite know what it's going to work out. And sometimes it works out great and other times it doesn't. But, But I would say just be curious about the pull of the Holy Spirit. And I, I think God will start the process. What are the steps that RDIC is holding Trinity to? A couple of them we mentioned in the beginning, but just probably need to be restated. So when you all want to do that. Um, So tonight, (laughs) which sounds very simple, but this has even getting to this point has been a long process of Mm -hmm. developing that paper Um, and dealing with some of just the practical timings that have happened at the church. Um, uh, Holding the staff to going through a diversity intensive um, and making sure that uh, they're doing it as a group together, which is another reason why 
it'll be done when folks get back. And then Shepard and Stone has, um, which is the diversity inclusion um, consultant that we um, engaged, gave us a number of things, but some were more uh, can be done now as opposed to later or, or uh, as we move along. Um, and so a little bit more about those functional groups. Having uh, a very white staff and then asking them to pay attention to race and issues of race and incorporate that into what they do just on their own. Um, it's not that we can't ask that, but perhaps there's a better way. And so having those of us who have committed to this work come alongside them. So for instance, Millie with kids saying, I need to figure Millie's out. Millie's our kids pastor. But <laughs> not, she also not just has like a kids, woman with kids. Um, sorry, children's pastor. Um, if she's sitting in, in a silo trying to figure out um, how do I make this space a space that represents the full, whole body of God, wouldn't it be better if I can say, like, by the way, here are a few books that we can even do, or I saw this helpful video on this, and being able to share resources. Mm -hmm. So those are the things that we're starting out on. Um, and trying to do it in a collaborative way. That's right. It's very well said. So the findings report that I mentioned before has these three recommendations were at the top, but just to name it, there were a lot of recommendations, um, all of which we are held accountable to by these people and now by one another uh, and the Lord <laughs> uh, himself. And we get to now what's really wonderful about the spirit of Shepherd and Stone, this team that we've worked with. And I, I mean, I'll just name it. Some of you have done DEI work in your organizations, and there's a reason that we chose to partner with Christians. Just going to say that, you know, and they were wonderful, and it has been an extraordinarily redemptive time together. And so the things that they've outlined and given to us to do, like, we feel great about doing them um, together. But we also know, like, we got to figure that out over time. So we're going to do that in conversation with, with these guys. All right, last question before we shift. Um, what, do you, what do you hope for? What are you feeling maybe hopeful about? Everyone's looking at me because I'm typically not this quiet. And so I'm going to get on stage and be stereotypical Asian and not say anything. So that's why they're, they're looking at me. Right. Oh, man. Um, so maybe just a little bit of context. I almost quit Trinity last year. Um, I, all the things that are going on in the world. I probably um, started, I guess, this journey of racial reconciliation um, in college, so going on 20 years ago. And so I love Trinity. I've been going to Trinity since 2005, but feeling like the place that I love to worship did not um, kind of fit together with my personal convictions of social justice and racial reconciliation was getting to be really difficult in light of what was happening in the world in 2020. So um, all that to say that I hope that <laughs> I guess Trinity becomes a place where all of me is um, celebrated and accepted. Um, I feel, I hope that Trinity becomes a place where um, anyone can walk in and feel like um, they're welcome. And I, I don't say that like people are intentionally, you know, trying to not welcome other people, but there are things that we can do to make uh, everyone feel more comfortable. Um, and so I guess in some small way, that's what I hope for. 
Um, <clears throat> one of the biggest things I hope for is for our difference to be celebrated um, and it to be something that uh, is not just celebrated with a spotlight on it, you know, in front of everybody, but like it's celebrated at all levels from the time someone walks into the room to the time that they're entering into a baptism class to the time that they're um, all the different steps of being a part of this community. My hope is that difference would be seen as something as beautiful, um, something that's going to expand our love um, and expand our life. And so, um, yeah, I, I think that's a big piece for me. It's just, yeah, that difference piece. Thanks, y'all. You give these good people a hand, please. Brad and Amy, want to join me up here? Brad Malden, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Name, name tag, name just tag. in case you're curious. <laughs> Brad. Name's Brad. Brad is more likely to forget his shirt than that name tag, just let me tell you. <laughs> oh, that that would happen. <laughs> I don't, there's no evidence of that, actually. <laughs> oh, That's amazing. It's just funny to imagine this all. Um, so, in the paper, you will see that there's a section called Acknowledgements and Commitments. Here's what we know. That um, if this work is an ongoing spiritual process involving forgiveness, repentance, and justice, that there have to be certain shared upon, not just like hopes, but things that have been acknowledged and commitments that have been made. And this is not just true for us individually, but for us corporately. And so as we've been for the last year and a half, thinking through these things in a really intentional way, we tried to collect some things and thoughts after hearing from our friends, people in our church, talking with uh, Zaki and her team, what needs to be named and acknowledged from your pastors in order for this to like move forward in the ways that it should. And in no way do I believe this is an exhaustive list of things. It's just not. Um, but it is an important list, and it's a place to start. And more than anything, what I want you to hear is a posture and something that we hope is like the start of an ongoing conversation, where we would be people who are quick to acknowledge where we've fallen short and to say what needs to be said when it needs to be said. So just more generally, not just even for us here at Trinity, but there are certain things that need to be acknowledged in order for people to come together around this issue. And one of them is to understand what racism is. And so you'll see that in the paper that we start there, is just acknowledging that, um, first of all, that racism is a sin. So when we're talking about racism, we're not just talking about some social conundrum, theory or history, or intellectual puzzle to solve, that we actually are talking about sin. And that racism is, again, as we've said before, not just something that manifests in the sin in my own heart, and therefore in like my words or actions of prejudice, but that it's more complicated than that, that it impacts the world around us, that it gets reflected in the things we build together as people because it's a part of the world we live in. It's in us and around us. And so that's how we understand racism. You'll see it to some degree defined in the paper if you choose to read it. That it's a way of thinking and being in the world that advantages some people and disadvantages other people. 
And one of our friends in the council made her think a really beautiful point in saying that when that happens, when racism is a system that, is a operate, that operates in the world, what ends up happening is not just th that some people are advantaged and other people are disadvantaged. It ends up sapping the whole system of energy and life by the waste of human resource. And I thought that that was like a really important and helpful way of thinking about it. Everybody loses, in other words, because we ha the idea is to be made whole together. I can't be whole apart from your wholeness. That's not how bodies work. So that's important, and it needs to be named that that's how we see it, that we're sort of starting from there. Uh, secondly, we need to acknowledge that the church, and the white church in particular, um, has been complicit, not just in the perpetuation of like racist ideas and theology, but in acts of racial violence. And it, when we talk about that, this is not like something that we're debating whether or not it happened, you know, or if it's real. Um, that we are going to commit here at Trinity to just like accepting history and looking at it and acknowledging that white Christians have at certain times in history committed hellish acts of violence against other Christians, just people in general, in a way that is not just like opposed to the gospel, that deeply grieves the heart of God. And just because I wasn't there, and just because I didn't personally make that choice, doesn't mean that I haven't been shaped by it or impacted by it. And so when we make that acknowledgement together, what we're saying is, I belong to a people. I mean, that's like a core Christian conviction. Yes, Jesus died for you and for your sins and for y'all's sins. You belong to a people. And when my people do a thing, for good or for ill, I'm impacted and shaped by it. So we want to acknowledge that that history has shaped and informed me and us. And therefore, I have a responsibility to examine myself, my life, my family, and look at the way that that history is at play both in the past and continues to play out in my present. So we want to do that personally and even for our church. It matters. Thirdly, we want to admit as pastors we've just been too slow to do this. This should have happened a long time ago. And that as a result of being slow, um, people we love have been hurt. And it's not just people of color who have been hurt. But as a result of our slowness to acknowledge something and deal with something, we have all experienced a less full, a less rich version of the kingdom of heaven in some ways. I love this church. I've been here a long time. And I can be so proud of who we are and what we have done and what God is going to do through us and admit where we have fallen short at the same time. 
If I can't, it's not love, you know? So we can say both at the same time, and we need to. And to commit to, like, doing our level best personally, to continuing to learn, to listen, to hold each other accountable, and let the Lord do what he wants to do, not in an anxious way, but in a free way, you know? So I wanted to give Brad and Amy a chance, just as we close, to talk about their You've Heard Enough from Me where they are, um, and then we'll say some really practical things to you before we head out. Thank you, Ashley. Um, yeah, I mean, reconciliation is God's work. I mean, I love how kind of this, you started tonight's conversation, just the reminder that this is not like Trinity's vision, right? Like this is what God is literally doing um, and has been doing from the very beginning. Um, and what a what a joy it is to remember that, um, but also to like know that we're in the business then, therefore, called by God um, to participate in making broken things uh, whole again. Uh, and that is, um, I think, just want to reiterate it, like at a general level, the acknowledgments there and the, the, the general commitment um, to that reality, right? Like to participate in the reconciliation of all things um, and making things whole again. And the reality is that some of those things are easy to see and some of those things are, are less easy to see. Um, and just that acknowledgement that uh, we don't know our blind spots, right? Like it's so easy to see some things and the hurts that you experience um, and therefore you see those hurts around you. But if you have not in particular felt or experienced those hurts, they're just harder to see. Um, and, and so just what a um, I think the gratitude I have for people who are on the RDIC, um, the experience for us as a leadership team to go through that diversity uh, consultant training, um, and what a gift that is because it does help us see kind of the broader story of hurt. It allows us to lament and to grieve um, the reality of that uh, hurt um, that is a result of our blind spots, um, both individually and collectively and corporately, um, but also the invitation to be able to lean into um, growing. Right? And being a church that is more aligned with the heart of God towards reconciliation, um, really across all lines of brokenness, um, and not just uh, one particular type of brokenness. Um, and just to say a couple of things of uh, maybe appreciation that I feel like I did take away, especially through our DI consultant, and just I think you said this earlier, um, and somebody asked earlier, like, what's been my particular role in this? Um, our leadership team dug in through the DEI process, which was uh, at least about a year-long process. And the RDIC process has been something that we, uh, as a leadership team, have not engaged with, but you, Ashley, have led that. Um, and I know moving forward, I'm very excited um, about being able to come alongside uh, certain members of those group of that group in regards to those formational groups or ministry groups or diversity groups. I have no idea what we're going to be calling these things. The groupy groups. The groupy groups. Um, <laughs> And I have no idea exactly who's going to be in my group. I'm very excited about that. Um, but in particular, excited about uh, the, the opportunity, one, to learn, uh, to grow, and to listen in that space, um, to share power in that space. I and mean, I think that's really in my heart of why reconciliation matters so much is that it's about learning, A, to give up any power you have is a threat. And that's how and why we seem to hold on so tightly to that as humans. Uh, and to actually practice giving that away and stepping away from that and submission and learning in response that God is exactly who he says he is. He is a good and loving and generous father. Um, and is so excited about the, the, those particular groups because I think I'll get an opportunity personally to be able to practice that reality, right? Like, I mean, maybe it's just me, but like, 
I kind of love being in charge of the things I'm in charge of. You know what I mean? Like, people are like, can I give you some feedback? You're like, of course, I'm going to listen to that. Um, but deep down inside, um, the opportunity to have the accountability uh, with that is something I actually am really eager about um, because I know I'm going to grow personally um, because of that. And I think our church will grow as a result of that, too. Um, so very excited about that. Um, and then obviously helping to see the blind spots. Um, the other thing that came out of the DI process that I think is just really good to celebrate uh, was the, the question about whether or not in a multi-ethnic city it's okay to, have, to not have a multi-ethnic church. Um, and I'll just tell you this, that our leadership team, it was like a resounding amen that that is not okay, right? Like if we look at our city and our church does not reflect our city, there's something fundamentally wrong with that in broken regards to being God's best. And our commitment as a leadership team uh, is to do whatever we can in the process of learning what it looks like to get our uh, church out of its own way in some ways. Um, if there are things um, that we do or things we don't do, uh, just the commitment to learning that um, is a very real commitment. Um, but what I've learned in my life at this point um, is there's a price to pay. Like when there is brokenness, um, there's always a price to pay. And that means it's going to cost something, right? Like I don't know if it's going to be Marty all of a sudden singing gospel songs, but it's certainly going to be. Price you all have to pay. We may all suffer God's vision. A, a little bit. Marty um, <laughs> but it will, it will cost something, right? Like to your point earlier, um, and just, I think it's just important to say that again and again. Um, and the other thing committed to that is just, um, you know, as we think about the things that are broken um, and the invitation to, to push and to really run towards the reconciliation of all things across all lines of brokenness, and that's gender and that's race for sure. It's also stage of life and age. Um, when you think about how divided the community is by those things, um, and our commitment to, to run towards the reconciliation of those things. Um, it's just obviously the commitment to do that, but to also know that we're all going to do that imperfectly. Um, and what I learned a long time ago um, uh, was that it's better to say things imperfectly than to say nothing at all um, and just the, give people the benefit of the doubt um, in these processes. And where so much of the things go sideways is when we have a different set of expectations than that, when we expect perfection immediately out of one another. Um, and so I just, as a call towards, as a community pastor um, who oversees connections and belonging and our influence partnerships, um, is to be willing to do things imperfectly um, and to extend benefit of the doubt and grace to one another um, and to be that type of body that's going to demonstrate to the, the community around us that that's how we actually move towards our brokenness uh, is prophetic. That's right. And very, very excited to do that with you all. Knock you down with the, the cord. It's good to be here with you all. And I just want to echo a lot of the things that, um, that Ashley and Brad were saying. I'm just um, thankful for the RDIC and their work and, and looking forward to, to digging in on these things more. Um, I think for me, like, as I've been thinking, uh, for getting ready for tonight, it kind of goes back to what Ashley started with of just this idea of we're all in process, right? Um, that it's not a one and done kind of thing or a light bulb that goes off, but um, there are those moments. And yet there's also, as um, the RDIC has beautifully reflected for us, there's just the slow work as well of the, of the spirit. And so I just feel like I've been reflecting on that just in my own life, um, just, um, you know, as, as I've been thinking through these things. As far as like the last 20 years in my life um, of like 20 years ago, kind of starting into missions training and what that looks like um, as far as like engaging with other cultures and, um, and being a learner. 
go, um, and like inserting myself into a culture um, that's not my own and being a minority in that culture and yet still being an American um, and the privilege that comes with that. And so, um, so I think that was such a big learning curve for me to say, like, how, how am I a learner in that culture, um, in a different culture, and yet, um, like, kind of laying down my privilege of being an American and choosing not to, to use that to my own advantage. And so I just want to say, like, I think in the last few years, a light bulb that kind of, one of those light bulb moments for me that's gone off has been, what does it mean to be in the, the majority um, what does it mean to be a, a learner when I'm the majority in the majority of a culture? That looks different, um, and like the sense of like not just nationality, but like that like my whiteness um, comes with privilege. And what does that mean? And how do I um, engage that? And so um, just like kind of making those connections to say it's not just if I go into a different culture, but actually here in my own culture, like how does that? play itself out and as a follower of Jesus what am I called to do how am I called to continue to be a learner and also to lay down the privilege that that I've been given um, just by the color of my skin and so that's been part of my process um, as well as like how these things affect how I read the Bible and so I just wanted to mention that too of like part of my my seminary training um, sitting with um, a fellow student from Africa and hearing him talk about how he reads the Bible and so he was talking about Matthew, oh, just lost my notes, um, Matthew 1 and the genealogy, genealogy of Jesus and saying like that, he said, you as, as an American, um, you read Genesis, I mean, sorry, you read Matthew 1, the genealogy of Jesus, and then you just skip right over it because you think it doesn't really apply to you. He, says that, he said, as an African, I read Matthew 1 and the genealogy of Jesus, and I say, Jesus has ancestors just like I have ancestors, and that, make, that means he was a real person. And that moment for me was challenging, first of all, and yet like another light bulb moment to say, wow, like you see a part of the Bible that I don't see. Like you when you read it, and you see something I don't see, and I can learn from you. Um, and so I, that was um, a, like a, a seminal moment for me that kind of changed, like I kind of asked the question like Millie was saying of who are the people that I'm reading um, as far as the way that they read the Bible and that they're going to have a different perspective than I'm going to have um, and that, that I need that. Mm-hmm. You know, I think as Protestants sometimes we think, you know, it's like me and Jesus in, in my Bible, you know, which is true. Like does God speak to us personally through, through the Bible? Absolutely. But I, we need each other. Um, as well to say you're going to see something in the text that I don't see and you're going to and it's going to hit you in a deeper way than it is me and I need to know that I need to hear that Mm -hmm. and so in this journey that that I've been on um, recently listening to a podcast someone saying have you have you heard minority voices and how they read the exodus story or have you only heard like fellow white people um, and how they read the Exodus story. And I realized, and that was a moment of conviction for me to say, I haven't heard um, other voices and how they read the Exodus story because they're going to read it differently than I do. And so I started to seek that out. Um, and Esau Macaulay in his book, Reading While Black, he even like talks about the Exodus story. And so, um, so I just wanted to like, mention that just as a, as a place of like kind of those voices, who are those voices that... Um, that are speaking into even the way that we read our Bible and are engaging the text and, and, and the people around us, how they can speak into um, to what that sounds like and the places that we don't see. And just that, that, for me, that what that speaks to is our own unconscious bias. 
And so, um, so that like speaks into just my day-to-day work here <laughs> as uh, the administrative pastor of just our places of unconscious bias. And in recent years, kind of looking at our hiring practices and how um, asking questions of how do the places that, um, that we have bias that we just don't even know is there affect like um, who, who we hire and how we do interview processes and what kind of questions we're asking and, and just trying to be more aware of those kind of things as well. And so those are the kind of things that I'll, I'll look forward to continuing to, to really press into and ask those questions um, in just in our day-to-day life here in the church as well. Thank you, Amy. All right. So it's time for you all to go home. Um, here's what I want to say, just some, a couple of like sort of definitive and hopefully some practical things. I uh, just was saying in some of the cards that were handed in, those that we didn't get to read, uh, you all asking like, you know, have you thought about, you know, musical worship? Have you thought, I just want to say, if it has occurred to you that it's really, really white, it's probably at this point occurred to, <laughs> occurred to us. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, and so I just, that's like not to say we want to hear from you and from other people, but just to say it back to you. Um, our commitment is both to look at those things and, I was, as I was saying before, continue to be who we can actually with authenticity and integrity be. Yeah. I, we're never going to pretend for you. We just can't. It won't be good for anybody. So whatever changes come in this church will be like thoughtful and prayerful and in lots of conversation, and, um, but we're open at the same time. But you need to hear us say like both things. Practically, you can expect that we are going through this findings report for the however long it takes, which covers everything from HR to communications uh, to preaching to the songs we sing. Um, and we're doing that again with real people in our church. Um, we also want you to know that there are going to be other opportunities, more educational environments where we'll be inviting you to like come in and continue to learn and do things together. Um, so there will, this is, again, a start of something that we hope to push forward. We just want to call you. If this is your home and you haven't yet pressed into this work in any intentional way, to prayerfully consider what it looks like to do that. Um, And we don't want to dictate that to you. We do want to make suggestions. There are lots of good books to read, a couple of which are out in our bookstore. The lists can be overwhelming because God knows there are lots of lists and lots of books that can be read. Um, We have a couple to recommend that are out in our bookstore that our RDIC put forward to you if you guys want to check those out. Um, And then the real relationships thing. just want to underscore it. Pray. Melody's right. This city and this world is not going to help you do this. I once heard someone on a panel say, you have to try really hard in a city like Atlanta to have a segregated life. And I thought, you don't live in Atlanta. Because you don't have to try very hard. In fact, you don't have to try at all. It's swimming upstream that's hard. And we have to swim upstream because we're Christian. That's just what we do. So, Lord, help us. Amen. Um, Lord, we ask you, Jesus, that by your spirit that you would bind up and seal up, Lord, um, all that is of you, all that has been said and done here in this place, Lord, that um, is in the service of your kingdom and your glory. Jesus, we just raise an Ebenezer to you, Lord. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would have mercy 
and Jesus, that you would continue to put in front of us this beautiful vision that you see, that you have always had, and call us towards it, Lord. It's in your name, Lord, that we pray. Bless our friends, bless our family, these brothers and sisters of ours, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen, y'all. Have a good night.